Hi, Carm Capriato here, and welcome to episode 405. You know, pursuing excellence in the automotive industry is an important goal for most service professionals and shop owners. Now, joining me is my friend and frequent contributor who reads voraciously every day. We're going to do our first ever book review. I'm with Barry Barrett as he discusses the book, Never Split the Difference. Here's a taste. Everybody that's listening, I want you to write down this. I want you to get a pen and paper. I want you to write this down because this is an action step. I love action step, practical, easy action. I want you to write down the word sales. And I want you to write down the word negotiate. And all I want you to do is replace it with the word influence. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here, and welcome to the place where we go deeper than the headlines. And as my friend Andy Bizzib says, the podcast is like a 40-minute 20 group. Remarkable Results Radio is proud to partner with Napa Auto Care in the upcoming 2020 Napa Expo. Now join Napa in Las Vegas, April 6th through 9th, 2020, to discover the latest innovations in the auto care industry. This is an event you do not want to miss. Contact your Napa store to learn more. Hey, are you listening mobile? Well, great. You know, 60% of my listeners do while on their commute, exercise, walking the dog, or sitting on the beach. Now, if you've yet to subscribe on mobile, there are over a dozen subscription services, including my own app for Android and Apple. Go to my listening app page on the website, RemarkableResultsRadio.com. It's our first book review, and my friend Barry Barrett is going to take a look at the power of the book, Never Split the Difference, by Chris Voss and Tal Roz. The premise of the book is that life is a series of negotiations. Barry's book review covers the foundation for negotiation on the basis of understanding the other party through empathy and active listening skills. He does a great job summarizing the book and bringing its principles to an aftermarket perspective, an enlightening and important episode, and thanks for being here to listen to learn just one thing. A warm welcome to Barry Barrett, and we're here to talk about, we're going to do a book review, right, Barry? Yes, sir. Cool. Never Split the Difference, from Chris Voss and Tal Raz. It's so important in our industry to know this stuff, isn't it? It is, and Never Split the Difference changed the way I was teaching selling. Really? In what way? The biggest difference that I got out of the book, because just like most sales, the book is 75% similar to other sales processes. The difference in this book than any other book I've ever read, and now I've read other books that he references that changes this too, and it makes sense, is he gets to know instead of yes. That is so fascinating. And, you know, I've always known that, you know, you you read sales books and says, hey, it starts when people say no. And when I saw that in, in, in the book, I said, oh my God, it really hooked me. So the first thing that I ever changed was, because you got to change, when, when I tell people, when, when you, when you want to change something, chase, change something so small and seemingly insignificant that people wouldn't notice either way except for you. And that's why it's not some earth-shattering, fearful problem. So when I say to people, 
don't get to yes, get to no. It scares them to death. Every salesperson I've taught this to in the beginning is like, wait a minute, I can't, can't say no. I'm supposed to tell them, get them to say yes. So it's counterintuitive to what we've been taught or maybe it's just counterintuitive to what we believe anyway. So is the concept if they say no, Barry, that they're more in control? He calls it the illusion of control. When we say no, it protects. When we say yes, usually it means we have to take an action and people are afraid of action, that they're the unknown Right. We're okay with actions if it's known, if we've done it before. If we haven't done it before, when we say yes and we have to take an action, it, we're out there. So no protects. It's almost like if I say yes, I'm I'm committing to something. If I say no, I'm continuing to be interested in the process. Well, name one thing you say yes to that you're not committed to. As I looked over this book, uh, I just kept, I couldn't help but think of the experiences that we all hate, and that is buying a car. As I got into the depth of this book, uh, what I realized was um, I was had many, many times. I read the book two years ago this month, actually. I look back, I love Facebook because you can look back and see your history. And it posts, I posted about it two years ago this month that I got this book and it just came out and it revolutionized that one thing changed. So I, I did this. Somebody calls me, I say, hey, Carm, is it a bad time? I call you actually. Yeah, I call you. Is it a bad time? You want to say no. And then all of a sudden you say no. And you're like, holy, did I just agree to meet with this guy? And I didn't want to. Because your initial response is no. Your reactive response is to say no. And you got me to say no. If I say, hey, Carm, is it a good time? And you don't know me. You're going to be like, is it a good time? It's never a good time. And if it was a good time, would I want to talk to you? No, I'd want to talk to my wife or my kids, right? Yeah, and, and that's a great premise even for calling customers back from the counter. Is now a good time to talk? No, is it a bad time? Oh, I'm sorry. Is it a bad time to talk? I, See you know, how ingrained it is? I just got sucked in, yeah. That's what I teach people. Hey, is it a bad time? No. Great. It's also their choice now, right? No gives them the illusion of control, right? There's a, there's a section in the book called the illusion of control. It's toward the back of the book. So let's talk about, a little bit about Chris Voss was a, what, an FBI profiler? He was an FBI negotiator. Ne- ah, he was a negotiator, right. So you would think that he actually has got this thing down. I'd say he's, he's on to it. <laughs> Pretty smart guy, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Take us a little bit through the book, what, uh, what we could you know, learn from this uh, very quick book review, Barry. So what was really good is the first time he catches you in the first page, the first chapter, he says, we've got your son, Voss. Give us a million dollars or he dies. That was Robert, and I may butcher his name, uh, Nukin. Robert Nukin, and he's a Harvard law professor. And he teaches negotiation at Harvard. And here comes this this guy who grew up in New York City, really no formal background in, in, in education that I know of. And he, learned, he you know, cuts his teeth in the FBI, negotiating with hostages, comes into the top-rated business negotiation school in, in, in the world, not just America, but the world. And he gets all of the money that this role play partner who is studying at a PhD level has. So he takes them in, they're role playing, he goes in there, sits down with them. Now, this PhD level negotiator student 
has the amount of money that he's authorized to give and so that he has money left over for, for, for future negotiations. They come out and they said, okay, Voss, how much money did you get? And he told them the amount. And the professor said, wait a minute, you got it all. And you know, the PhD students like embarrassed slumping over, right? So the next day they said, is this the fluke? Next day goes in with the best student they have, gets all of her money. Like how in the world do you do this? See to your pants knowledge, right? Learning how to empathize with, uh, with the person you're talking to. Think about it this way too. Oh yeah. Empathy is a big deal in, in, in the book. And it's one of the, Six, it's one of the behavior change stairway model. If there's a he's the BCSN, the behavior change stairway model. What I think was interesting, we wrote in the book, he said, We all feel fear, even in role play situations. And we've had some role play good podcasts, yes, we have. And uh, they, they were excellent, uh, so well listened to. And uh, and those are tough to do, uh, you know. In, in my lifetime, I've been in enough of those. And uh, boy, you've got to be, uh, there's some humility that comes into play there. There's no hiding. Mm-mm. Not when the microphone's on, especially <laughs> when the podcast. You, live, we were, we're live when we, we were do. live. There's no, there's no hiding. There's no under the stone. You know, it's good. I love it. So the book breakdown, you get to know versus yes. Chapter one introduces you to active listening the behavioral change stairway model. So the first step in the behavior change stairway model, he talks about is active listening. You know, I've been around for a long time reading sales book, but I never had anybody explain active listening as well as he did in this book. So I've adopted in my teaching this active listening stair step. I give Chris Voss and the, you know, the credit. Now he got it from another person, but Active listening has six tools. So it, once you go to that first step of changing behavior, and all you're doing when you're selling anything is changing someone's behavior most of the time, the way they buy. So the first tool is, is minimal encouragers. We do this quite naturally. We're saying, mm-hmm, yes, mm, you know, kind of going along and moving minimal encouragers. Number two is effective pauses. It is my favorite tool. I've used it for years. Just like this then. You just pause it. You think about everything. Number three is mirror questions, which is the breakdown of the last two or three words someone says. And you'd say, last two or three words? Now, I didn't say someone says, but last two or three words. It's really two or three words in the sentence that you want to focus on. And you go, focus on? And then I would expound. The brain can't help itself. It must explain that. And people never catch on. And he, he describes in the book, somebody did it to him in a boat. And his son looks at him and laughs about an hour into the mirroring. And he says, dad, he's been doing it for you to close for an hour. And you never even caught on. It's so powerful. How about body language, Barry? Body language is, the study showed 55%. He has it in the book. I don't have it written down, but I have a good memory. 55% of what someone conveys is body language. But mirroring uh, body uh, tonality, if you will, or positioning, is that critical? It is if you're face-to-face, but what happens, you know, most of, of, of your listeners, 
80% of their selling is done over the phone. So, so what then? Now I have an answer for that. Maybe not the answer. I don't know, but it's an answer. What's the answer? The answer is when you're selling, do the motions. They will feel your body language. Get up out of your seat. Yeah. Wave your hands around like a crazy man. When you say hi, raise your hand like it's high. When you say low, lower your hand like it's low. Do the body language. They'll feel the emotion because you can't help but project an emotion when you do it. That's why I tell people, when you want to do voice inflection, literally smile, frown, be concerned, make a concerned face. So you're concerned. So I just did it and I couldn't help myself. Your mouth will do what your body does. I've got to share with you an experience. Back um, back in the day, I always wore a headset so that I could be animated. I never wanted to be in a chair, and I always wanted to be walking around because, being Italian, I, I have a lot of hand gestures, and you know, and like you, you don't have to be Italian to do that. But, and and that to me, if if I was looking to convey something extremely important to someone I was talking to, I needed to be up and moving. I got a stand up desk now, and I love it. I'm not standing right now, but all I got to do is lift it up. And I'm telling you, when I do, man, it just comes out, right? You, you teach and you, but people are so embarrassed to do that. But nobody's seeing them. Maybe they will in a, if, if it's in an office environment. They do. They see them. So they're worried about what people will say. They're worried about what they'll think about themselves. It, it, it goes deeper than that. It's ego. So let's talk about our world and our counter. Uh, service service advisors got the headset, so he's mobile, and uh, he could go just about anywhere into the shop. He doesn't have to be in front of his CRT to, you know, talk to a customer. Moving around, think about where the blood is flowing. Think about the energy that's going on inside. And what did we always learn when you smile over the phone? They could feel it at the other end. I mean, that you oh, just described that. Hundred percent. Your voice will do what your mouth does, your your face does, your body does. Your voice can't help it. It has to do it. You know, I, we play a lot of golf, right? You know that you cannot swing a golf club faster or slower than you say 17 out of your mouth. If you go 17, you'll swing it fast. If you go 17, you'll swing it that fast. Same thing with anything. Try a baseball bat. I don't care. Try to swing faster than you say 17. You can't do it. Tiger Woods can't do it. The mouth does what the body tells it to. That's it. That's why if you want to, and this isn't in this book, but it's in other books, it's in other teachings. But if you want to change your, your, the way you feel, the first thing that you do is change your state. Depressed people slump over. Excited people roll their shoulders back. You stand up, roll your shoulders back, get in the Superman pose, the Wonder Woman pose, whatever your choice is for 10 minutes. Your testosterone will rise 30 I read that a lot in speaker presentation books that tell you to get into the Superman pose before you go on. You don't think I do? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know you do. Absolutely. In fact, I've seen that, that, uh, that shirt with the S on it, too. That's right. I never read without a pen in my hand. You know why? Because a pen makes me think. I don't care if you're writing anything or not. If you, don't have a, if you put a pen in your hand, you'll think better. Thank you for saying that. I can't do a thing without a pen in my hand. My whole life has been like that. I mean, if, if I'm not holding it to write, I'm holding it because it's almost like a, a lightning rod for me. It is, it is my, I don't know if it's a crutch, Perry, but, you know, and, and by the way, I always have to have something to write on. And if it's a book, I have to write in the book. 
And if not, I have to write in my pad of paper. Um, I can't tell you how many times Ann and I are driving down the road and my mind's going a million miles. My mind is going as fast as my car is, by the way. And and I say, paper, pen, write. <laughs> I've got four notebooks on my desk, three over there. I got notebooks everywhere. I got notebooks for every book I read. Hey, Carm here to highlight why the Napa Auto Care program may be right for you. Let's talk about warranties. How long do you warranty your repairs or services for your customers? Does your warranty cover your customers anywhere in the country? Now, if you're a Napa Auto Care Center, you have confidence in knowing your customers are covered for 24 months or 24,000 miles nationwide. Now, that's because one of the many benefits of the Napa Auto Care program is the nationwide peace of mind warranty. The Nationwide Peace of Mind Warranty provides the best coverage in the industry and it allows your shop to compete with other national brands. It's a written warranty that is honored at more than 17,000 Napa Auto Care Center locations from Florida to California and everywhere in between. Wow, 17,000 locations. That's more than any other automotive repair brand. When you're part of the Napa Auto Care program, no matter where your customers travel, if they experience a problem with a covered repair, they can count on Napa Auto Care to be nearby to get them back on the road. The nationwide peace of mind warranty covers parts and labor on qualifying repairs and services for 24 months or 24,000 miles. And the warranty claim process is easy too. If you're ready to give your customers the security and confidence of a nationwide warranty and provide them with peace of mind, knowing that they are receiving a quality repair or service, especially if they're unable to return to you for warranty, then Napa Auto Care may be right for you. Contact your local Napa Auto Parts store today and learn more about the nationwide peace of mind warranty and the hundreds of other reasons to become part of the Napa Auto Care family, the largest network of independent automotive repair shops in the country. I know we're talking about, you know, uh, the book, but, you know, a, a lot of great stuff has come out of this, and maybe we should just get together and do a show on how to read, because readers are what, Barry? Leaders. Absolutely, readers are leaders. By the way, thank you for bringing that whole concept to the show a few years back, and, you know, because of you, I created the books page on the website, and any book that we talk about, I, I put it up on that, uh, you know, if anybody says, what book were they talking about? Anyone could go to the books page and probably find it. And literally buy it or download it as an audio book right there. So thank you. Thank you for that again. You're welcome. I got that from Dave Ramsey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he got it from somebody else and they got it from somebody else. Like that's just the way this thing goes. I love it. But I'll give credit to where I got it from every time. And I would love to have one of our sessions, just how to read a book. I read a book called how to read a book, right? Uh, Same thing we were talking about earlier. I'll call your agent. We'll do lunch. I like it. So then there's labeling, your mirror questions. Great questions about the body language, right? The mirror of the body language. The mirror questions. Then there is paraphrasing, which is saying back to them in your words what you think they mean. And then, I'm sorry, we labeling. Let's cover labeling first. Labeling is number four. And that is seems like, sounds like. You know, Carmen, it seems like you really want to make sure your car is safe and reliable in the most affordable way. And if you agree with that, you're going to say, that's right. Not your right. He makes that distinction. Your right usually means they're trying to get you to be quiet. That's right means they agree with you. And that's not a no. That is not a no. And it's not a yes. It is not. 
So it seems like now, if you, if you, and later talking about black swans, that's what he named his company, but they, you can mislabel someone. If there's an unknown unknown, a mislabel will do it. You know, Carm, it seems like you're trying to be difficult and you'll go, no, no, no. This is it. And you'll uncover that unknown unknown. Man, it's good. So labeling, though, in the sales process early is negotiating is seems like you really want to take care of your vehicle. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Or that's right, right? And then paraphrasing is, is, is using your words to summarize everything. And then summarizing at the end, that's number six, is paraphrasing and labeling used together to go back and make sure that you're, what you, you understand what they're saying and doing and meaning. So that's active listening. That's step one in the behavioral change stairway model. How hard is it to really learn how to do this? You know, you sit down, you read the book, you take some great notes. Is this going to be hard or easy for a committed service professional to learn? I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. Any person in the world to become uh, better at this because to, to me, you don't have to, I said, well, listen, I, I, I did this so I could negotiate better. Okay, great. But you also did this to become better listener. You, you know, to, to me, this whole act of listening piece could be the biggest benefit that could come out of you because negotiating is not a forever thing that you do always in your life. Now, maybe, maybe we do. You constantly do it. You do it at every minute of the day. You negotiate. Every minute of the day. So, okay, everybody that's listening, I want you to write down this. I want you to get a pen and paper. I want you to write this down because this is an action step. I love action step, practical, easy action. I want you to write down the word sales. And I want you to write down the word negotiate. And all I want you to do is replace it with the word influence. You're literally influencing people to believe what you believe or what you think you believe. Every minute of the day, you are negotiating with yourself. You are influencing yourself, asking yourself questions. You're always negotiating or selling someone on something. Zig said this a long time ago. Brian Tracy says it, right? All these great salespeople say it and trainers. So influencing, which is actually step four in the BCSM, it's influence. So you're trying to influence others to do what's good for them and in turn, good for you. I'm not trying to manipulate. That's bad. That's con artistry. That's not selling. It's not leading. So you can run an extremely ethical, high moral company and still have the right of being able to influence through the art of negotiation. Here's going to be something very, I think people are, may get offended at. You ready? I think if you have a low average repair order, you're not ethical in what you're doing. Let me explain. If you have a low average repair order, there are about eight and a half hours worth of work to do on a car to make it sure it's safe, reliable, the most affordable way. Eight and a half hours roughly translates into about $1,600 worth of work per car. If you're selling 200, think about the gap that you are not serving your customer. You're not very effective. So the most ethical thing that you can do, safe, reliable, most affordable, is sell them everything that they can afford. That's ethics. Which is why becoming a better influencer, instead of negotiator, but influencer, is so important. 
your own personal livelihood and the profitability and success of the company. What you're saying is the work is out there, Barry. Figure out how to ethically get it. Right. I was talking to somebody a, a little while back and they said, well, they yelled at me. I, I tried to get them to, to do the repairs. They yelled at me. I said, what did you ask them? He's like, I didn't. I just hung up the phone. I, I just told him, oh, I'm sorry, man, and hung up the phone. I said, did you feel like you, you were effective? He said, no. I said, so he yelled at you. I said, let me ask you what I would, let me tell you what I would ask him. Ready? He says, yeah. I said, I said, hey, Mr. Customer, when you, your doctor tells you that you need to change things, do you yell at him? Well, of course not. Well, he's a professional. Why are you yelling at me to get you to do what's right? What's causing that? Well, the, uh, the entire elephant in the room, the, the, the image. And then I'm going to ask him no question. You ready? I'd say, Mr. Customer, would you want me to hold back information that was detrimental to you and your family and people, other people on the road? People are afraid of that question, though, aren't they? I'll go back to Judge Ziegler. He says, Tim, it's salespeople have skinny kids. Ask the tough questions. What are they going to do? Yeah, what are you afraid of? Can yell at you again? I thought I could care less. Yell at me. I know you're never going to come back. Sweet. You're not like me. It's fine. You're not people like me. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means that you and I just don't have the same worldview. That's okay. Have a nice day. What else can we learn from the book, Barry? So active listening leads to empathy. If if I people want to to need, they want to be understood and accepted unconditionally. He calls it. Calibrated ca- tactical questions. So you're, you're, you're using empathy. You're building empathy for them. Like you understand them. It builds empathy between both of you, right? When you have empathy between both of you, number three is rapport. Once you empathize with somebody, they empathize with you. It builds rapport. And then it leads to that number four influence. Rapport is number three. Number four, it would be influence. And then number five is merely behavior change. Those walking people through those that those steps will get them to under you'll understand each other. He calls it unconditional positive regard, which is a really cool way to say I, un, I accept you unconditionally. You know, I under you, you just always build that rapport with them, right? The number one question that he teaches the 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 silver bullet, man. If everybody wants a silver bullet question, it's this one. How am I supposed to do that? It makes them figure out your problem. It scares every student I ever teach this calibrated question. So here I am sitting here listening to you and realizing he's a negotiator. And when I hear the question, the silver bullet, how am I supposed to do that? I need a million dollars in an airplane in an hour. So how am I supposed to do that? He says, well, just put it on the airplane. Well, how am I supposed to do that when I don't even know that they're alive? Be ready for that one, right? That follow-up. Somebody says, well, can you give me a better price? Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, just give me the discount. Well, how am I supposed to do that and give you the loaner car we talked about, give you the highest quality part we talked about? give you the best testing equipment possible and the best technicians trained, highly trained technician. How am I supposed to deliver all that and give you a hundred dollars off? That's powerful. 
Yes or yes. Mm-hmm. Where do I sign? Exactly. <laughs> so you have to use how and what questions. I first read this through the QBQ by John G. Miller. But how and what questions will change your leadership. It'll change your relationship with your customers. It'll change your influence. Why questions seek to blame? Rarely use why questions. And if you do, watch their tone of voice. Why seeks to blame? Well, why do you think that? No, what brought you to that conclusion? Not about you. It's about the conclusion. Self-control and emotional regulation, he talks about, is very key. Most people's problem is they can't self-regulate. They get their emotions up, and so they can't control their voice inflection. And he says to do that, talk about the, the, the radio DJ voice, you know, bring it down. But he says the most voice you need to use is that excited voice, that happy voice. People buy when they're happy. Right? So there's different voices he teaches. And then he goes to three kinds of yeses. There's a counterfeit yes, a confirmational yes, and a commitment yes. The counterfeit yes plans to tell you no, but helps them escape. You've heard, you know, you ever had salespeople call you so many times, Carm, and you're, you, they, they yes you to death and you like don't want to talk to them ever because they yes you too much. You like to save time and money, don't you? Well, you do that. You're going to get a counterfeit yes right there. They know what you're doing. Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> As you look at the sarcastic smirk on their face, sure do. Right. Mm. Yeah. If it's on the phone, you don't see it. So they, most people aren't trying to hear it. Right? They'll see it from me. They'll hear it from me. Yes, they will. <laughs> <laughs> I like to hang up the phone more, but yeah, sure. Time money's great. It's too bad those robocalls weren't real at the other end. <laughs> That's the reason they're not. Right. And then confirmation, a reflexive no promise of an action, like a confirmation. And then the commitment, which is the real deal he talks about. That's, that's the one you, you, you want to get is the real commitment. So the last thing that I want you to know, Carm, that from this book, and I'll end on this, is what type are you? What type of personality? And there's the disc assessment. There's all those. He breaks it down to three things. There's an analyst, an accommodator, and an assertive. An analyst is methodical and diligent, speaks, often can speak cold and distance if they don't watch it. They're hypersensitive to reciprocity. They're skeptical by nature. If you lead with too many questions, it will turn them off. An accommodator, the most important thing to accommodator is to build relationships. So uncovering their objections can be difficult because they, they want to please you. So, and then there's the assertive, which is me. I'm an assertive. Wants to be heard. They tell rather than ask. I had to really train myself to ask. And then once they are uh, convinced you understand them, they will listen to you. So those three things paired with the base of the rest, but that's what the book's about. That is the meat of the book as I see it. And so, but there's so much more meat in there. It's a great book. I've not read it, but I've looked at some summaries to get a feel for this interview uh, so impressed with the, the concepts that, that are there. If I wanted to really embrace this book, this concept, become a better influencer negotiator, how do you recommend uh, to our listener how they should start? 
So I'll tell you, I've read the book five times. Ah, there's one secret. You cannot get it in one sitting. I've been studying sales for 18 years. And like I said, 75% of it, I, I, I pretty much knew. Does that make sense? But you wanted to get better. I mean, there's, there's nothing like, if you will, practice rehearsal, commitment, really having, having the sense of what your job is and the purpose that you have. I mean, you, you, you need to be a perpetual student to constantly evolve and get better. Yeah, I tell people I'm not a, I'm not a follower. I'm a student. I'm going to make up my own mind. Be a student. I read the book five times because it's got some great stuff. I mean, it's got some incredible stuff in there. I've been studying sales for 18 years. Like, that's the meat of what I love to do is sell. Above all else, man, influencing others to do the things that they should do to improve their lives, that's selling. Man, I, I'll, be, I'll be studying this till I'm dead. I love it. I'm going to live till I'm 120, just so you know. Do many of the service professional uh, service advisors that you meet, Barry, know their role? As a salesperson, no, I used to, they're becoming better at better. I used to ask this to open up all my classes in the beginning. I used to say, how many of you here by show of hands, it's called the turn and learn, by show of hands, see themselves as a salesperson. Can I see your hands? And only like a third of the room, even if, would raise their hands. And then I would say, by show of hands, who in here by show of hands does not see themselves as a salesperson? And then most of the rest of them would raise their hand. And, and then I would say, who didn't raise their hand? And, you know, five or six people would raise their hand. I said, hey, listen, the choice is pretty clear. Either you are a salesperson or you're not. There is no, unless you guys heard something different. <laughs> so I said, what do you see yourself as? Somebody says something else. I'm like, well, that, that fits in the not salesperson category. <laughs> so I out of this hundred service advisors, only like 30 of them see themselves as a salesperson. It's no wonder that they don't do a great job selling. Describe to me what you do every day, if not sell. And they start talking about, well, you know, I'm really an educator. I'm really this or that. You know how they go down. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And I said, would it surprise you to know that I think all those attributes that you just said is exactly what a salesperson is? That's how I defined it. I go, well, how would you define a salesperson? They're like, well, they're, you know, they're, they're crooks. They're trying to get you to do something you don't want to do. And I say, well, let me ask you a question. Is that a salesperson or is that a con artist? And why are you using them as synonyms? Salespeople have bad, it's, it's a bad image. They don't want to be in that club. So many con artists are calling themselves salespeople. And we're letting them get away with We've it. We've stereotyped the, the, the word salesperson in, in our literature and our movies over all the years as someone who's always trying to put something over on you. Because you're never going to see a movie about a ethical, successful salesperson. You're only going to see Coffees for Closer and Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross. You're only going to see Boiler Room. You're only going to see The Wolf of Wall Street. All of those people were con artists. They were not salespeople. They're not going to make a movie about Zig Ziglar because he did it right. They're not going to movie, make a movie about Brian Tracy or Jim Rohn because they all did it the ethical way. They're not going to get a world-class movie because no one's going to go see it. Well, there's no story there for the general public, but there are great stories for us. I'll watch them all day. That's all I watch if I'm watching something. First of all, I guess what we have to say is this. Go read the book five times, everybody. <laughs> okay, read the book. Like, know why you're reading the book. Are you reading it because it's enjoyable? Are you reading it to learn? Are you what? Why are you reading the book? Are you reading it so you can 
incorporate the ideas. If you are, you're, you need to study the book. So have your pen. I use three colors. You don't have to begin there. Have your pen. Underline what's important to you first time through. The next time, get a different color pen. Get a red pen. Go through the book and on one, and, and get you a notebook about the size of the book. You know what I'm talking about? The same dimensions of the book so you can carry them both. So then you go through it slower. I want you to read what you've underlined and then make you a, a, a line in the middle of your notebook. And I want you to write your ideas in red at the bottom. If you read C at the top, you're going to get this. Make your ideas at red at the bottom. Go through the book. Then go through the book again and, and take a black pen and now put your own ideas on the top half of each page that you made the line. And then write your own ideas at the top. If you want to be a, a student and actually incorporate it, this is the way you do it. So now you're third time through. Three different color pens. I went blue the first time, red, and then black. So now I've got it. I've made notes. I did all this stuff. So here's what I do. Here's the real secret to my memorization success is I will make a PowerPoint presentation out of the book the fourth time through using my notes, ideas, and the book. The fifth time I read it, I'm using another color pen to underline anything else. I don't take any notes. I don't make any, I don't do anything. I just make, do it again. Will you underline something you've already underlined or are you looking for new? If it's really there, I'll underline it four times. And I honestly, I would, I would really um, challenge anybody to know someone that can memorize quotes and who said them as much as I can. Oh, I know. You're amazing. You're amazing. But I, do I, I don't read every book that way, though. Are you kidding me? I would never get through four books a year. I read the books I want to really get deep down in here that way. But, you know, I'm, I just read a book called The Five-Second Rule by Mel uh, Robbins, which is a fantastic book on just merely taking action. I read that book in three hours because, you know, I'm skimming it. Like, I, I'm not trying to go deep. Like, I'm, I'm skimming through it. You know what I mean? I'm practice. I'm getting the main ideas that I want to get. Like, how do you do that? Boom, I'm done. Will you go through the whole book or will you say, hey, I've gotten enough from this thing and you stop three quarters of the way through? There's a lot of books that, that start repeating themselves out of three quarters of the I'll put them down and say, okay, it's red. Like, I'm not trying to get some, win some ribbon. You and I did an, a great interview with Tom Ziegler. If anyone hasn't heard the Barry Barrett, Tom Ziegler interview, please just go to the website, type in either of their last names, it'll come up. And uh, my big takeaway, it was a ton of great stuff from there. It was such an honor for, and thank you, by the way, for bringing Tom to the show. He promised he'd come back and do a, a second one. So we have, to, yeah, we have to do that. But he's he's sitting in his in his uh, family room or den, and he's he's on a couch, and it's full of books. And I basically ask him, are you reading all of those? Now, I will not, I'm not going to tell anybody what he said, but you got to listen to the episode. And, and I learned... You know, because I always thought I, I wasn't doing it right. And then he explained it. You just explained it. Will you come back and let's do another book someday? I can do it once a month. I don't care. I, I, really I thought so. It never split the difference negotiating as if your life depended on it. Uh, the book from Chris Voss with Tal Raz. Barry Barrett, thanks so much for coming in and inspiring us. People will realize, Barry, that uh, this is a great book to read if you're a sales professional in the automotive service business and they need to go out, get it, and do something about it. Absolutely. And just to plug Tom Ziegler, he, he, he wrote a book, just finished it, Choose to Win. Choose to Win? 
All right. We'll have to put that up on the site. Thanks, man. Yep. Thank you, sir. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time, 